The Eula May and John Baugh Foundation is pleased to support Good Faith Media and its production of Brother Molly about the life and work of Molly T. Marshall. The Baugh Foundation recognizes the God-given dignity of every person and supports nonprofit organizations that reflect the love of Christ. The Baugh Foundation, supporter of Good Faith Media and Brother Molly. Do you act in good faith? Do you believe that faith can be a force for good? Good Faith Media is the new nonprofit from the merger of Ethics Daily and Nurturing Faith. Good Faith Media will offer news and opinion, books and curriculum, videos and podcasts, and travel and learning opportunities. When it comes to good faith, there's more to tell. Visit goodfaithmedia.org. Full disclosure. You should know that what's about to happen to Brother Molly is what led to a chapter about her in a book titled Dictionary of Heresy Trials in American Christianity. Welcome back to Brother Molly six-episode documentary podcast from Good Faith Media on the life and work of theologian Molly T. Marshall. I'm Erica Whitaker. Episode 4, Troublesome Woman. Now Roy Hunnicutt is out of the president's office at Southern Seminary. Albert Moeller is in. The Board of Trustees has moved steadily and deliberately more conservative. Molly finds her position at Southern exposed. I have never been very silent. And when I saw things or wondered about things, I would say them out loud. I was the first woman in the School of Theology, hired to teach theology. Not thought to be the realm for females. I wrote a controversial dissertation. I taught feminist theology. I had people read non Baptists. I explored uh, questions that pushed against the inerrancy agenda. Inerrancy. The belief that the Bible is without error in all its teachings. Every word is infallible, according to this definition of Scripture. Now you remember that the summer of 1984 was the summer when, at the convention, when the resolution that women would not be accepted in pastoral roles because of their priority in the Edenic fall. And then this crazy use of 1 Timothy 3.15 of uh, women be saved by the bearing of children, etc. So... I became kind of exhibit A of what was wrong at Southern 
And obviously, I could not be an inerrantist if I was arguing for the propriety of women being called to any form of ministry, and I was suffusing that in the classroom. And so every year, I was being asked to clarify something that I had said somewhere. And uh, the fact that I was ordained and had been a pastor was particularly egregious. And so I just, I just kept on because I had the classroom. I, um, I had a great ministry among students. I was a hopeful sign. Mark Medley, one of Molly's students at Southern during these dark days. Publicly and even privately, Molly handled that with grace and humor. But she she carried on, and she uh, did not let that hold her back in terms of speaking truth, speaking truth to power, challenging uh, a male-dominated environment and culture, uh, challenging the patriarchy, the exclusivity of it all, uh, advocating um, for uh, for inclusion and openness, being um, vigilant about um, women in ministry, creating spaces, advocating for women to be not only ministers in churches, but to be senior pastors and ministers in churches. So, um, and 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 so it was, uh, and I gained you know, an awful lot from watching her, um, knowing the pressures the that were down coming down upon her and seeing how she was resilient and she was strong. Um, she persevered. Um, she, um, and I think a lot of that was rooted in her deep sense of God's justice and God's love. David Wilkinson, Molly's friend from Oklahoma, is on staff at Southern in 1993 as director of seminary relations. He puts out a call for letters and notes of encouragement to Molly and other professors. Those cards and letters poured in, and we decided to affix them to the walls of the primary corridor in the administrative building that joined the two ends of the building where most of the seminary faculty offices were housed so that every day faculty in particular, but also the students would have the opportunity in walking down that corridor to stop and to read a note of encouragement. And there were so few things that we could do to support Molly and her colleagues that were tangible uh, expressions, although prayer was our first and foremost means of support. But those personal written words of encouragement I think, spoke volumes about Molly 
but also volumes about the strong bonds of friendship that she had formed and that her seminary faculty colleagues had formed across the decades with persons literally around the world serving in all kinds of ministry capacities. Here's another Molly students, David Goatley. I, along with many others, were somewhere between uh, grieved and confused at how she was being uh, both treated and how people were uh, accusing her uh, of not being uh, faithful uh, to um, the, the theological task, faithful to biblical texts. And so the caricatures uh, that we heard, um, it, it, it caused uh, grief and confusion uh, particularly as young students, uh, at least from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, but she also handled all of that uh, with an amazing degree of, of grace and maturity. Um, I was never witness to her uh, trying to act out in a retaliatory way. I was never, I never saw her uh, unload um, frustration um, and talk about in inappropriate ways uh, the unfairness of how she was being treated by a new administration or by a uh, new governance structure. She she never um, unloaded that on students in a classroom setting. She was very disciplined. Uh, and her focus was on helping us to learn. And I think that that said a lot about her integrity while she was living in the midst of all of this uh, accusation and demonization and mischaracterization. When in the spring of 93, Moeller, Albert Moeller was elected as president. There was also a resolution by the board that, new policy, no one who supports women in ministry in a pastoral way will be elected to this faculty. I was the lightning rod. The humiliation part was being told, you are not trustworthy to teach these students and I was seeing opportunism, uh, power, uh, mongering, uh, and really cruel allegations uh, that I didn't believe in God, that I uh, was not really a Christian. And that was a little bit, it was a little hard to bear. Molly is honored in 1993 with the seminary's Faculty Teaching Award. But the pressures on her do not abate. Molly says she kept on putting up with it until the summer of 1994. When I was told I either had to resign or charges of heresy would be brought against me, that I was 
perceived as outside the abstract of principles. The abstract of principles being the seminary's theological statement. So I took the abstract of principles, and I took every article, and I wrote my own convictional response to every article, and plastered them around the seminary, in the post office, in the student lounge, you know, my little Wittenberg act. And I was interviewed by the dean at the end of our interrogation about my views about things. I said, you see, I'm not outside the abstract, am I? And he wouldn't answer. The heresy process is eight board members and five faculty members. The president does not have to tell you what the charges are until he files them. How's this going to turn out? It's a foregone conclusion how it's going to turn out. It was a foregone conclusion, a witch trial of sorts that burns deep. And as Molly wrestles with the pain and grief at a place she so loves, she turns to perhaps an unlikely source for comfort. Brother Molly returns after the break. This is Mitch Randall. And I'm Autumn Lockett. And we co-host Good Faith Weekly. Each week, we provide conversations and interviews at the intersection of faith and culture through an inclusive Christian lens. Subscribe to Good Faith Weekly wherever you listen to podcasts. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Arkansas has been on a journey with Molly Marshall since she served a Baptist church in Little Rock. Through many seasons, our treasured journey continues. Discover more about us at cbfar.org and on Facebook. Brother Molly is season one of Good Faith Stories from Good Faith Media. Season two, about some big faith in Little Rock, is already in production. To learn more about our Good Faith Stories podcast, visit goodfaithmedia.org. Brother Molly continues. In the summer of 1994, Molly T. Marshall, having been a professor of theology at Southern Seminary for a decade, is faced with the choice, resign or stand trial for heresy. She faces not only a critical career decision, but also another test of her own faith. Can I forgive these folk who have in some ways displaced me from my long dream and my great love of this school, Southern. She drives 70 miles west from Louisville into the hills of southern Indiana in search of soul answers. I 
I found consolation at St. Meinrad. St. Meinrad, a Benedictine monastery founded in the 1850s by monks from Switzerland, men, brothers in the faith, who live according to the rule of St. Benedict, written in the 6th century. I would go for worship and retreat. And there I had a friend, a monk friend, who helped me think about forgiveness. He said, Molly, you've got to forgive these people, not just for their sake, but for yours. Or you'll bind them to you and you'll never be free. So that became for me a spiritual counsel as I tried to let go of the hurt and the humiliation and the pain. This episode in Molly's life is partially chronicled in a 1997 documentary by Steve Lipscomb titled Battle for the Minds. It is often referenced in discussions about Molly's tenure at Southern. The film, now available freely online, includes interviews with Molly, Albert Moeller, and dozens of other professors, students, and trustees. Here's Molly in the film. Southern Baptist leadership right now, the conservative leadership, want seminary education simply to repeat or inculcate what they already think, which is really an evisceration of the role of theological education. Molly, a woman. She had been ordained. She had been a pastor. She advocated for women serving in whatever ministerial capacity to which they felt called. Her responses to the seminary's abstractive principles were finding no response in advance of the deadline to resign or face charges of heresy. Dr. Susan Shaw, professor of women, gender, and sexuality studies at Oregon State University. They came after Molly the ways that they did in the controversy because Molly came to symbolize the threat of women in the SBC because she was the woman at that point who'd really first climbed to that position of, of symbolic authority by being the first woman to teach theology in a Southern Baptist seminary. And so she had to be dealt with uh, because that was the only way that they could maintain patriarchy in the denomination. Because what if all of these other women who were coming through seminary achieved that level of power? Because Molly was teaching theology and Molly was a feminist and Molly had been a pastor and she was ordained. So she represented everything that the fundamentalist, I think, saw as a threat to male power in the denomination. And so I think they were much more ruthless in the ways that they treated Molly. Here's Linda McKinnish Bridges, one of Molly's friends from Southern. These were people that were opposing her that were our friends at one particular time. We had personal friendships with all of these folks. Uh, she was still able to do that with lots of grace. And, and, but if there had not been the opposition to being a woman in this particular discipline, she would have risen to the very top because she had the capability and the competencies and the skills to outthink, outright, outspeak <laughs> most of us, including our male colleagues. But because there was such opposition to her being a woman in ministry, 
many of those opportunities did not come. As Molly nears the end of her time at Southern, the seminary publicly sounds a consistent note. Molly's beliefs, not her womanhood, account for the ultimatum. But it's difficult for many to separate Molly's ouster from the issue of gender. Dr. Shaw again. It was as much, if not more, the women's issue that led to the fundamentalist takeover of the denomination um, as, as biblical inerrancy. I think inerrancy was the smokescreen because I think fundamentalists were threatened by the women's movement and women's growing social power. David Wilkinson. I think from my perspective, Molly was the object for much of the intense criticism unfairly uh, for both uh, reasons in that um, she was a highly respected theologian, but she was also a woman of faith and a female theologian. I don't think that was necessarily true for everyone who took issue with her theology or her viewpoints expressed in the classroom and in her writing and in her speaking. But I have no doubt that the fact that she was a female had much to do with the onslaught of criticism during those years. David Goatley, one of Molly's students and now director of the Office of Black Church Studies at Duke Divinity School. I suspect that she and other women assumed an institutional commitment uh, because of uh, the uh, Ministry of Encouragement and Affirmation uh, of the then uh, president, Dr. Honeycutt, and her other colleagues and administrators, uh, and even people who were a part of governance before the tide changed. Um, and while while it was a commitment of the then administration and many, if not most, of her her colleagues, an institutional commitment is is not clear and is not confirmed uh, until you can survive multiple transitions of executive and governance leadership. And this is a lesson uh, that Black people know very well. Uh, We can be aspirational and hope uh, that an institution uh, has turned and and repented of of its um, unjust and injurious behavior. Um, But it's only aspirational when it happens with one leader, and especially if you have a strong leader, uh, because her or his ability uh, to influence and to secure cooperation by by some and many, you know, may, may be very strong. But again, that doesn't mean uh, that that it's embedded in the institutional because you have one or two people. Institutions have muscle memory. And uh, the institution for years uh, was not just uh, when it came to women uh, and uh, African-Americans. And so there have been seasons of reprieve and seasons of 
some efforts at repair. Um, but the muscle memory <laughs> uh, kicks in uh, often and, and you go back. She's given an ultimatum. She resigns after negotiating to keep working with her doctoral students. Mark Medley, one of them. Let me just tell this story, and I think this maybe speaks a lot about Molly um, then. Summer of 1994 is when Molly was removed from classroom at Southern Seminary. And one of the things she did as part of the negotiations with the administration is that she protected us as our, her, her doctoral students. She fought to retain supervision of us because she knew that it would be a challenge for some of us to continue on with what the projects we were working on, given the environment at that time. But she fought for us. Um, and I distinctly remember she gathered us all in her home in an August in 94, and she laid out what was going on. That was a hard. That was a hard night. Um, it was rough. Uh, I do remember crying about what was happening, um, being very concerned about Molly and what it all meant for her, being concerned about myself, <laughs> what it was going to mean for me. Molly chose to make sure we were protected and that she could continue to supervise our, our work until we finished our work. But I think that speaks volumes to her character and to who she is, to her integrity, her fierceness, her responsibility, her, her friendship, um, her tenacity, her commitment uh, to us as doctoral students. Um, spring of 95 by that time Molly was not in the classroom at all but in alumni chapel I walked across the stage got my degree walked off the stage and right in the front pew sitting there was Molly and she stood up and we embraced and had a really big hug in that space in that moment uh, in my memory I will not forget because it it just, I finished this, and she was there the whole way. And she was present for that day. And that embrace summed up, well, six, seven years at the time um, of, of a relationship as a, as a student to my teacher. I was actually grateful that I had discerned that I would not do the heresy trial and that I would just do a forced termination with the proviso that I could finish my PhD students because my mother was very ill and I just knew I, I knew I needed to be there more. Molly resigns from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary on Friday, August 19th. 
1994. She heads back to Oklahoma to be with her mother, who dies four days later. She knew I had been dismissed. I had called her that Friday afternoon, and uh, she had serious pulmonary heart. I don't think this news killed her by any means, but it uh, was a double whammy. But three days after being forced out, Brother Molly is a production of Good Faith Media. It's hosted by me, Erica Whitaker. It's written by Cliff Vaughn with additional writing by me. Cliff Vaughn is the producer and editor, and Mitch Randall is the executive producer. Narration recorded by Carter Harrell. Special thanks in this episode to David Goatley, Linda McKinnish-Bridges, Mark Medley, Susan Shaw, and David Wilkinson. For generations to come, Baptists will have Molly Marshall to thank for any woman who preaches, teaches, or leads our churches or schools. I'm George Mason, host of The Good God Project, conversations that matter about faith and public life. You can find our weekly video podcasts on Good Faith Media or at goodgodproject.com. Thanks for tuning in to Brother Molly.